We have been interviewing all of the candidates for mayor here in Madison, and today we have the last interview and the incumbent, Madison Mayor Paul Soglin, on the Madsplainers. I'm Lisa Speckard-Pask, and I'm the Metro Reporter. I'm Eric Lawrenson. I'm the Tech Reporter. I'm Abby Becker, and I cover city and county government. And this is the election edition of the Madsplainers. All right, so welcome back. Today, guys, it's the big one. It's Madison Mayor Paul Soglin. And um, yeah, he's been around for a really long time. You might be a fan of him. You might not. But he's been around for decades, and he has a lot to say about the time he's been here. Yeah, he and his famous mustache were here. Uh, and, and we talked about uh, we talked about a lot of things about, uh, uh, you know, people kind of know his background as being, you know, involved in uh, Vietnam War protests and that uh, that kind of thing. Back in the 70s? Yeah. Um, he came to Madison for school. So he's he's been around. Um, and we talked to him a little bit about what propelled him to get into city politics uh, and also uh, what is keeping him in in city politics. Um, you may remember, um, you know, over the summer, there was uh, he announced that he was not going to run for mayor, which was big news. Uh, this followed his uh, his uh, gubernatorial bid as a Democratic candidate for governor, which did not pan out. And then, you know, fast forward, there was another announcement that, oh, no, he changed his mind and he is running. So he was sort of uh, had a change of heart there. But uh, he is in this race and which, he is running. Yeah, And he'll talk about that in the interview, too. Yeah. Uh, side note, if you want to. Go back in time to the the <laughs> gubernatorial race of 2018 and listen to his interview then that he did with Jesse Apoyan on our state politics podcast, Wedge Issues. He speaks on the mustache and explains about the the only time he's shaved it in his adult <laughs> life. So if you want a little juicy extra yeah. tidbit, go to that yeah. podcast. We did not discuss that on this one, sadly. No, we did not. I did not bring up his facial hair. Yeah. Jeez, Abby. <laughs> Some interviewer you are. <laughs> Before we dive into the interview with Mayor Soglin, I wanted to bring up a point about um, the city's agreement with Exact Sciences as far um, as its jobs TIF policy goes. This issue will come up later in the interview, so I just wanted to bring it up ahead of time so you're all clear. For those of you who don't know, Exact Sciences is a biotech firm in Madison, and they develop screenings for colon cancer. They have an agreement with the city called a jobs TIF policy. Through that agreement, the city provides funding to Exact Sciences, and Exact Sciences then must provide a certain number of jobs in the city. I'm bringing this up because the mayor has talked about how this agreement will provide $15 an hour jobs. However, the agreement stipulated between Exact and the city really just holds Exact Sciences accountable to the city's living wage ordinance, which means that the jobs must offer a minimum of $13.27 per hour. I um, reached out to the city's economic development director, and he told me, yes, Exact as a minimum must hold to the thirteen twenty-seven an hour. But based off of information that Exact provided the city, Exact Sciences will be offering jobs that offer more along the lines of $15 an hour, as well as benefits including health insurance and a 401k plan. Uh, so that's sort of the discrepancy there. So people know you, obviously, you've been mayor, you've been here. Uh, But in a nutshell, I guess, what brought you to Madison and then to seeking elected office in City Hall? Well, the uh, University of Wisconsin 
was my first choice for a school, and so I came here as an undergraduate. Spent 10 years in school, got my bachelor's degree in four years, then three years of graduate school in history, and three years of law school. While I was in uh, while I was in the uh, graduate program at, in the history department, I ran for city council in April of 1968. What got me engaged was really issues about the war in Vietnam and how estranged we were as students from the rest of the city, which at that time did not seem to understand why we were so fervently against the war in Vietnam. But that then led me, led me into other issues, particularly revolving housing and transportation. So I spent then five years on the city council, and in 1973 was, was elected mayor. And then uh, cue the next uh, the next couple decades, and you've been mayor for 22 years total. Is that right? That was my Correct. last count. Yes. Okay, I'm going to make sure I didn't miss any. Um, so why do you why do you keep coming back? Well, uh, principally because of concern for the city, my love of the city, and uh, as each decade unfolds, there are new and different challenges. Madison was back in the 70s and into the early 80s, principally a white city very white. In the mid-80s, things began to change. Uh, This was a national thing that was going on. A lot of African Americans were leaving the large urban centers like the Milwaukee's, the Chicago's, Detroit's, and moving to smaller, medium-sized cities like uh, Des Moines, Iowa, um, Madison, Wisconsin. And the the city was not economically, culturally, socially prepared for it, and it pre- pre- it presented some challenges. Um, free and reduced lunch was always a uh, a fairly good measurement as to how many kids, what percentage of the school population was in poverty. And during the 80s, that number grew from about 7 or 8% to about 25%. I looked at what was going on at City Hall and the leadership, and I felt that I was much better equipped and prepared to take on these challenges. And uh, that's why I returned to office in the 90s, and it's the same reason why I returned to office in 2011. And uh, so, and originally you had said, you know, you weren't going to seek re-election. So, and I know we've chatted a little bit about uh, sort of that change of heart, but um, if you could explain for our listeners just why you changed your mind. In in the period from roughly uh, the the August gubernatorial primary through the month of September, I was getting a lot of people and a lot of pressure saying, we want you to run. Uh, We're not happy with the other candidates. And uh, I can't remember the exact date, but sometime shortly before I announced, I had two separate conversations, one involving a business leader in the community, uh, a a white male of moderate political persuasion who, who was very insistent that I run. And then I had lunch with an African-American leader with an academic background uh, who was also very insistent that I run. 
and coming from these two different viewpoints uh, and how adamant they were, uh, and given that I was already concerned about the candidates, their electability, I decided I would re-enter the field. Yeah. Well, and you've also said, too, that there's certain projects that you want to finish, like, I mean, Judge Doyle well, Square and the public market. Not so much Judge Doyle, though I'm, I am concerned about it, and obviously the public market, which is so instrumental in uh, vital areas of the city, for example, the whole question about nutrition, access to food, uh, building an economy in our region, uh, based on agriculture, and what I think is oftentimes overlooked, the importance of it in terms of building up through our Market Ready program entrepreneurial opportunities for people who might not have college degrees, uh, might not have the academic credentials to land well-paying jobs, but certainly have the skill set the knowledge in terms of running their own business, and that I think those doors have to be open. But it's 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 the challenges in terms of what came out in the 2013 uh, report on race to equity. You know, 2011, I said poverty, equity; those were the great issues facing the city. And while I won the election. It was very frustrating those first couple of years in getting even city council support in, in regards to those, those challenges and those issues. And then comes the 2013 Race to Equity Report with all of the data based on 2011. And that got the discussion elevated and elevated to the point where suddenly everybody said, this is the number one issue. Well, we've made some really great strides. We've got a long way to go. But, you know, the Brookings Institute just recently analyzed the 100 largest metro areas in the United States and said there are only 11 cities that have seen economic prosperity and growth and that it has been shared uh, across racial and, and, and ethnic lines. So... We're on the right track, and uh, unfortunately, when I left office in the 90s, a lot of the programs that we put together were discontinued, and what I want to do now is get these programs institutionalized, get the approach of using peer support uh, rather than, say, the traditional nonprofits as, as a mechanism for change, uh, try and get a culture going. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example that's something that I found very disturbing when I returned to office. City committees should be uh, um, filled with appointees who are City of Madison residents, and they should be diverse. And what was happening is in the search for uh, African-American or Latino committee and board members, people from outside the city were being appointed. That's not right. And so we can't have that kind of backsliding. Uh, programs that we set up, we didn't call it peer support at the time, but the Harambe Health Program, which, you know, 
after it was set up, we saw this enormous decline in African-American infant mortality. And then the programs discontinued. And then a few years later, that infant mortality starts to rise again. That kind of programming has to be cemented, locked in, and 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 that's what I'm, I'm hoping to see in the next four years. Yeah, well, I know you mentioned you know the Brookings Institute report, um, and of course, I mean, there's there's good news, and then you know there is always um, you know news that you know Madison, Dane County, Wisconsin, you know, is is not doing well in terms of you know uh, racial disparities and that kind of thing. Um, so. Um, you, you know, it's like we've seen this progress, and yet, you know, well, as we've you made, said, there's so much. We've, we've made enormous progress in such areas as increases in African-American household income, very significant reductions in African-American unemployment over the last eight years, but there's still the disparity. We've, 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 we've cut African-American unemployment by, by 300% but it's still about three times greater than white unemployment. Um, so, so like I said, we've made progress, but we've still got a ways to go to finish the job. And then, of course, it's not just the, the unemployment rate itself, but it's the quality of the jobs. Mm-hmm. And that's where things like the agreement we inked with Exact Sciences on their TIF, we've adopted our first jobs TIF, and we've got to learn how to do these. Uh, The requirements we made there where they had to sign a contract with the Urban League to do job training, starting salaries of $15 an hour with health insurance and a pension. It's just the beginning. Yeah, so I was looking that up, um, the Exact Sciences Jobs TIF, um, because the Anyway, I was speaking with Matt Mikulajewski a while back on the new jobs TIF policy and some of those changes. But anyway, so I was looking at the exact one. And um, so I thought I saw in the resolution that it was, um, you know, it, it specifies that the jobs must, you know, adhere to the city's uh, living wage ordinance, which um, I think I looked up the 2019 number is like 13 something an hour. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to make sure that, yeah, that I had that number right as well, opposed we're, to the 15. We're, we're going to 15. All city employees by the end of this year will be at 15. End of 2019 at 15? End of okay. 29. Is that similar, too, for um, the new uh, job training center in Park Edge, Park Ridge? I know there's... No, there's, there's no there's no requirements in terms of what an employer has to do, but the way that training center is working is it's going to be a collaborative effort. We're uh, providing the training center. The Urban League is going to manage it. And this is to build on the work that the Urban League has done specifically with MADREP. The Urban League MADREP um, partnership in regards to the conference that's held every May now, uh, bringing together significant employers and uh, leaders with, within the, the African-American and Latinx communities, I think are going to go a long way into changing uh, employment here in Madison. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so we talked a bit about um, racial equity here. So other big themes that are coming up in this election cycle, but are also just things that are important to people in Madison are, you know, transportation, housing, and climate change, uh, sustainability, that kind of thing. So, I mean, so if reelected, um, you know, well, what would trans- you do to you kind of push trans- these forward? You mentioned transportation. We cannot make the kind of changes we need from an environmental standpoint, from a standpoint of servicing uh, the public's transportation needs without bus rapid transit 
and without the establishment of a regional transportation authority, a regional transit authority. Well, we can't do a regional transit authority without the state legislature's authorization. So this has been something that the folks in the uh, Appleton, the Fox River Valley area have been fighting for. We've been fighting for it. Uh, We think that despite any misgivings we might have about the Foxconn deal, uh, Foxconn's presence around Racine is going to require one in that area. And so we're hoping with the leadership of the Evers administration, we can get a bill through the legislature creating an RTA. In the meantime, we know that the kind of service we need is bus rapid transit. It has to serve an area at least going as far north as uh, Sun Prairie and maybe to DeForest and and, and, uh, that surrounding area. Uh, To the south, who knows, maybe McFarland, perhaps Stoughton, and taking in, obviously, Middleton, Fitchburg, and, and the surrounding communities. Uh, bus rapid transit means uh, uh, an all-electric fleet. We've already ordered four electric buses. We've got to have a 35 to $40 million garage to service these buses. We're working out of a facility that's you know, 40 years old, and it doesn't have the capacity for the size of our fleet. So what we're doing is even though we don't have the financial resources. We don't have the state and the federal participation needed to uh, make this system work. We are planning as though we will. And uh, we, we're, we're, it, it, it is just one of our highest priorities to get that authorizing legislature uh, from the state government, that legislation from the state government, and then move forward with BRT. What BRT means is faster headways, fewer stops. It means exclusive right-of-ways for the transit system. And it means greater service to underserved areas of the city. Yeah. So I was uh, thinking back to uh, one of the uh, forums that was held at the public library uh, downtown. And, you know, you had brought up um, that you have a strength in, in managing and managing people and managing a big institution, you know, like the city. So I'm, I'm curious why you felt compelled to kind of bring this up to the audience and to explain why um, that's a, an Im- important thing to, to note in a candidate. I, you know, it, 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 let's put it this way. It isn't. It isn't. When people go to the polls, the ability to manage is probably one of the most least important things. They think about position on issues, uh, social justice. What are you going to do about climate change and global warming and how good the person is in terms of managing and getting things done? That's not so much top of mind. It's very low. It is not a deciding factor. I think it's very clear over the years. One of the things I've demonstrated, not just relative to uh, other mayors who've served here in the city of Madison, but also uh, nationally. I know how to manage. I know how to get these things done, how to take a very complicated problem and deal with all those moving parts and, and get the kind of results that, that we've seen. I put it out there because maybe there's one and a half percent of the population that is going to think about management, and I just wanted to remind them. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm not going to dwell on it. As, as campaign advisors have said to me, Paul, you might be really great at management, and that may be the difference in the success of your administration as opposed to other mayors, but 
don't talk about it. It's a waste of time. Most people don't care. Right, yeah. It's not as sexy as hearing about innovative ideas and, yeah. you know, fresh new themes and, you know, whatever. I'm curious also, you know, from from your time as mayor, you know, if there's anything that, you know, uh, that you've learned about the job that you can really only know from, from doing the job, you know, that, you know, other candidates may not be thinking about or, or know about just because they haven't held the position of mayor. Well, one of the things is you have to have realistic expectations in terms of what the law allows. In other words, we are controlled by laws of the state of Wisconsin. We're controlled about by the laws of the, the federal government and its policies and practices. And so first you've got to determine what those are and recognize those limitations. And then you have to be able to figure out which ones you can change, which ones uh, can be modified. So, for example, um, one of the candidates recently brought up uh, the question of inclusionary zoning, which has been successful in some parts of the country. Inclusionary zoning only works if you've got state authority to do it, and it has to cover a large geographic area. You cannot do it in a small community. We actually saw the Cheslovich administration try it, and we wasted about three or four years and about $5 million. We are not going to get this legislature at this time to, to uh, uh, change the laws regarding inclusionary zoning. It's tilting after windmills. On the other hand, we can't do a regional transit authority without the legislature's authority and approval. That's another obstruction, but that one, my judgment is, we can change that. We can get a partnership going and collaboration with other communities around the state. We've got strong allies in the legislature that like to see that and appreciate it, so that's one that's, that's worth doing. Climate change, global warming, uh, that's a real mixed bag. There's about 300 cities in the U.S. that promptly turned around and sort of slapped Donald Trump down when he rejected the Paris Accords on climate change. And we all said as cities and mayors, doesn't matter what Donald Trump's doing, we are going ahead with the agenda. We are going to reduce and eliminate fossil fuels, uh, carbon-based fuels. We are going to focus on renewables and to the extent that we can with our legislation move the needle. So while we can't regulate access to charging stations, we've had conversations with MG&E. We've had conversations with some of the gas stations about moving forward in making uh, charging facilities available. And our own plan, as I indicated earlier, starting with our Madison Metro fleet, is to go all electric. And, and it's more than just electric. We're also looking at other uh, fuel sources, uh, one of which is, is hydrogen. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of work being done by some of the car manufacturers, uh, both the German and Japanese, in this area. Um, so kind of one last big major question before our lightning round uh, for you is, uh, you know, why should voters still have faith in you to lead Madison? You know, in other words, sort of what is setting you apart? Well, you apart? know, there's, 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 there's the political slogans. We need different leadership. We need new leadership. First, they're just slogans. 
And secondly, they're rather hollow because they don't suggest we need better or improved. And you know, one of the things that's come up in this election uh, is you know who's looking to the future. And I think I've demonstrated for what I've, I've, I've worked on in the recent years, of all the candidates, physically I may be, might be the oldest. In terms of our minds, I'm undoubtedly the youngest. And I, I can't remember where I I'd shared this once before. But did you know that the city of Madison has in its zoning code a regulation dealing with shops and medical facilities that dispense marijuana. Why? Because in my travels, Colorado and California, I've seen what the dispensaries do to surrounding neighborhoods, what they do in regards to rents and prices, what they do uh, in terms of impact. And anticipating that one day here in Wisconsin, the, the sale of at least medical marijuana, medicinal marijuana will be legal. I want to make sure that we're prepared for it. And we are. And, you know, it's, it's thinking out ahead like that or more, uh, a more a deeper concern, Airbnb. Everybody took a look at Airbnb and said, oh, the cool factor, this is really neat. And I said, wait a second. Let's look at how this is going to play out and what it means. And I looked at the uh, way Airbnb works. I looked at how the economics of it worked and said, this is not as wonderful as some people are suggesting. Why? Because it means you could take a large, significant part of the housing stock for families, affordable housing, and basically turn them into hotel rentals. And you not only lose that housing stock, but you also then see a change in the neighborhood. Why? Well, for one thing, families and their children are going to disappear, and that's going to depopulate the schools. And sure enough, uh, in the the home, the center of the universe on this stuff, San Francisco, that's exactly what started happening. The same thing with Uber. said, wait a second. There's some safety concerns. Also, there's the issue of the number of vehicular trips. And sure enough, uh, the day after the state preempted us, we saw a sexual assault here in Madison. And by time the driver was identified because of the walls that Uber puts up, the driver had fled the country. In terms of vehicular trips, as New York City's now learned, Uber and Lyft are creating more congestion, more vehicle trips, consuming greater amounts of fuel as they particularly cut into public transit. This is not something where you just simply want to write a blank check. So whether it's planning out a public market, a bus rapid transit system, or looking at some of these other innovations, You've got to have a broader understanding of the issues and their consequences. Any last words before we go into our lightning round? I just want to thank you for having me here, and I hope I don't stumble in the lightning round. (laughs) Well, we appreciate you being here. (laughs) All right, first question. What is your favorite festival in Madison? My favorite festival in Madison is Madison, uh, the art fair. Okay. Favorite sandwich? Favorite sandwich? 
Uh, probably the BLT at Nick's. Uh, what's your favorite statue, landmark, or public art piece in Madison? Oh, well, geez, that's that's a really tough one. Um, We've gotten some pretty interesting answers I, from this question. I really di- do like looking at Monona Terrace from the other side of Lake Monona. Mm-hmm. I think I think that can count. Jur- jury jury allows it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Eric and Lisa agree. <laughs> um, all right, this is a game of Would You Rather. Would you rather have backyard chickens or bees? As you know, these are allowed bees. in the city zoning code. Bees, bees, bees. Uh, bees do more good. Chickens are a nuisance. I'm sorry. Who do I just offend now? <laughs> my my old apartment, my neighbor's <laughs> chickens would always get out, so I'd have to round them back there across the street. So, uh, Would you rather drink small batch coffee, kombucha, or beer? I don't drink coffee or beer. Are you a kombucha kind of guy? And well, do those probiotics? No, no <laughs> not, not that either. I mean, iced, I mean, iced tea is where I'm at. You like the those uh, the green teas? Yes, That's your, green, your trademark. Green, yes, green ice, green iced tea. Yeah. Uh, would you rather travel around Madison by bike, bus, or car? Oh, that's easy. Bike. Would you rather go to the co-op or grow your own produce in your own backyard garden? Um, depends what it is. I mean, it is certain produce is it's really tough to grow in Madison, so it depends what it is. But I'll I'll, I'll go with the backyard. All right. Um, and how many different Madison neighborhoods have you lived in? Uh, one, two, three, four. 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 Five. 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 I feel like when uh, people live here as students, that number increases. Yeah, well, that's where I went from four to five. I realized that as a student, I lived in two different neighborhoods over those years. Uh, And last lightning round question for you. If you were stranded on a desert island, which book and movie would you want to have? there's, There's a couple of British TV shows that I've really enjoyed binging on. Uh, not the least of which is Penny Dreadful, which it seems nobody's heard of. Uh, also, Ripper Street was pretty good. Book, every few years, I pick up War and Peace. So if I was stranded, I'd want a long book and uh, one that I'd learn something new every time I read it. You'd have plenty of reading material <laughs> if you brought that one, that's for sure. All right, well, that is it for you. So thanks again for being here. Thank you. So that was Madison Mayor Paul Soglin. Hope you learned a little bit more about him than you knew before. Um, So as we said, that was the last of the six candidates we have interviewed. But this is not the end of our election edition coverage. Um, We'll be jumping back in with more info in the coming weeks. Remember that primary is on February 19th, and then the general election is in April. Um, But if you can't wait to hear more Captain's podcast, there is always Corner Table, which is the dining podcast, and Wedge Issues, which is the statewide political podcast. So there's plenty of content for you, and we'll catch you next time on The Mad Splainers. Mm-hmm.